For I've had enough Of this world and its pleasures I will arise and go forth To the house of my young I will arise and go forth To the house of my father I will arise and go forth To the house of my young House of my young Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, Patterns of Exile and Redemption in Genesis. This is part six of the series. Jacob's distress when meeting Esau foreshadows Jacob's trouble because it says that Jacob was very frightened and distressed. We're told about the tribulation in Jeremiah chapter 30 verses 5 through 7. The tribulation is referred to in this context with these words. For thus says the Lord, we've heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man does travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It's even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he will be saved or delivered or redeemed out of it. Meaning that it's from, and as a result of Jacob's trouble, the redemption of Jacob is the end of the exile of Jacob. That is the ingathering of the exiles. Jacob's wrestling foreshadows the end of the exile because he wrestled until the break of dawn. The Art Scroll of Genesis, Volume 2, page 1438. The commentary to the phrase, until the break of dawn. Alternatively, this refers to the appearance of the first rays of daylight through the clouds before sunrise are the words of Eben Ezra. In the figurative sense, it's reflecting Israel's destiny in exile. Until the break of dawn, the dawn refers to Israel's salvation or the end of the exile of Jacob when the long night of exile will finally end. Israel and Judah will return to the land of Israel during Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 3 says, for lo, the days come, says the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah. Not just the Jewish people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. What's the context of Israel and Judah returning back to the land? It's in the context of Jacob's trouble. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into pale? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. The day that Israel and Judah return to the land of Israel, that day is great. There's none like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved, redeemed, or delivered out of it. In Genesis chapter 33, when Jacob and Esau met with each other, it says that Esau ran toward him and kissed Jacob. In the Torah scroll, where you find the phrase, and he kissed him, there are dots above the Hebrew letters. 
causing you to draw attention to why are there dots above the letters. In the Art Scroll of Genesis, Volume 2, page 1450, in commenting regarding these dots, in the Torah scrolls, the Hebrew word here, and he kissed him, is dotted over each letter. Midrashically, this intimates that the word calls for a special exposition or explanation, since dotting is one of the methods by which the Torah calls attention to recondite allusions contained within a word. The opinion expressed in the Midrash is as follows. Said Rabbi Yanai to Rabbi Shimon, If Esau's kiss was sincere, why is the word dotted at all? Left undotted, the word would be taken at face value as being sincere. Since it is dotted, there must be a special significance to the word. Rather, the dots signify that Esau's intention was not to kiss Jacob, but to bite him. But Jacob's neck became firm as marble, and Esau's teeth were blunted. And also in the sayings of Rabbi Eliezer, according to which he says the dots signify that the word is to be read as if Esau's intent was to bite him. So this is a prophetic foreshadowing that in efforts of Jacob to make peace with Esau, that his intent is to destroy Jacob, as alluded to by the biting. We can see how in Psalm 83 we're told how the tents of Esau want to make the name of Israel to cease to exist. Psalm 83, beginning in verse 2 through verse 5, reads as follows. For lo, your enemies make a tumult, and they that hate you have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people, and they've consulted against your hidden ones. For they have said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are a confederate against you. Psalm 83, verses 6 through 8. In describing this confederacy, it describes the whole confederacy in this way. The tabernacles or the house or the tent of Edom. So these are all the people that's linked with Edom. And collectively, they're called the tents of Edom. So it includes more than just Edom. And all the peoples it includes are the following. We would refer to them as Arab peoples today. The Ishmaelites of Moab, the Hagarenes, Gibal and Ammon and Amalek. The Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher has also joined with them. They have become the strong of the children of Lot. Selah. Next, we're going to look at Joseph's dreams. And we're going to see how Joseph's dreams is a prophetic foreshadowing of exile and redemption. Genesis chapter 37 verses 5 through 8 it is written, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaf stood round about, and made obedience to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shall you indeed reign over us? So they understood that the meaning of the dream is that they would bow down to Joseph. That's why they said, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. 
Genesis chapter 37 verses 9 and 10 were told about the second dream of Joseph. And he dreamed yet another dream and he told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obedience to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to you to the earth? So once again, Jacob understood that the meaning of the dream is that there would be the bowing unto Joseph. What ends up happening in the events that follow is that Joseph ends up being sold by his brothers. Being sold is a reference to exile. So when he's sold by his brethren, it's a foreshadowing that the descendants of Joseph would go into exile. Genesis chapter 37, verse 19, verse 23, verses 26 and 27, it is written, And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer comes. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh and his brethren were content. Joseph was sold in Shechem. The Bible says that the sale actually took place in Dothan but the commentary in the Art Scroll of Genesis, Volume 2, pages 1,632 and 1,633, it says that Joseph's sale took place in Dothan, but that was a hamlet in the general area of the large city of Shechem, so it took place in the Shechem region, the Shechem area. And what's the significance that he was sold in Shechem? Because Shechem is a place where many misfortunes took place. It was there that the sons of Jacob sinned by selling Joseph. It was in Shechem that Dina was ravished. And it was at Shechem in 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 1 that the house of David would be divided or the split in the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. So Shechem personifies exile. We are seeing how being sold is associated to exile and that when Yahweh cast his people into the nations of the world, the scripture said that he sold them. Psalm 44 verses 8 and 9 and 11 and 12 it is written, In God we boast all the day long and praise your name forever. Selah. But you have cast off and put us to shame and you go not forth with our enemies. You have given us like sheep appointed for meat and you have scattered us among the heathen. So it's talking about you've scattered us among the heathen. The next verse says, you sell your people for not, and you do not increase your wealth by their price. Joseph ends up being cast into a pit. The pit personifies and foreshadows exile.
Genesis chapter 37, verses 19 and 20, verse 22 and verse 24, it is written, And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer comes. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty, and there was no water in the pit. No water is going to be a prophetic allusion to no Torah. The Torah is likened to water. When you get exiled, you are going into the wilderness. In the wilderness, there's no water, and you are not instructed in Torah, a byproduct of exile. In the Art Scroll of Genesis, Volume 2, page 1640, 43, we are told how Joseph's pit foreshadows the wilderness and it foreshadows exile. And commenting to the verse, the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Why do you have to say that the pit was empty? If it's empty, why do you have to add and there's no water into it? Doesn't it being empty already mean that there wouldn't be water into it? So why the repetition? The redundancy means that there was no water in it, but there were serpents and scorpions, is what Rashi says to the commentary in the Talmud in Shabbat 22a. The added phrase, there was no water in it, implies that the emptiness was not total. The pit was empty only of water, as well as shrubbery, stones, and the like, but it was not empty of serpents and scorpions, which constantly crawl in and out of crevices. Our verse has, there is no water in it, where we find the similar phrase in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15, where the passage reads regarding the wilderness, it is a place of serpents and scorpions, a parched land which has no water. Exile is a place of snakes and scorpions. In the book, From Exile to Redemption, by Rebbe Menachem Schneerson, volume 1, page 25, he makes this comment. The wilderness alludes to the time of exile. The phrase, the wilderness of the nations, refers to a place of snakes, vipers, scorpions, and drought. A place desolate of anything holy. This reference is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15. In the Midrash Rabbah, volume 2, page 782 of the Sanchino version, we are told how a pit with no water foreshadows being without Torah. The pit was empty and there was no water in it, but there were snakes and serpents. There was no water in it. That is because there were in it no Torah teachings, which is likened to water as you read from Isaiah 55 verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come ye for water. It is written in Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 7, if a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel and sell him, then that thief shall die. Next, we're going to look at the dream that the chief butler had 
where in his dream, he dreamed a vine and cluster of grapes. In Genesis chapter 40, verses 9 and 10, it is written, And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. In the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossom shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. Israel is likened unto a vine or a vineyard, and the budding of Israel foreshadows the redemption, and the cluster of grapes foreshadows the messianic era. So his dream was a foreshadowing of the redemption of Israel. In the Art Scroll of Genesis, volume 2, page 1734, it is written, The vine represents Israel, Psalm chapter 80, verse 9. The three branches represent the three festivals, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. The budding, or the abundant fertility of Israel, Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, it blossomed or bloomed, which represented the time of redemption is at hand. And the clusters bringing forth grapes refers to the time had come for Egypt to drink the cup of staggering. See Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 2 and verse 13. And the Sanchino, Midrash Rabbah, volume 2, page 815 and 816, it explains how the chief butler's dream foreshadows the redemption as well. The vine before me, this alludes to Israel as it says, you did pluck out a vine out of Egypt, Psalm 80 and verse 9. And in the vine were three branches, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Its blossom shot forth. That is the redemption of Israel. Next, we're going to see that in explaining how Joseph was ultimately reunited with his brothers, that in this process, Judah, remember Judah and his brothers came from Egypt because there was was a famine or a drought in the land of Canaan. When his brothers came down, Judah ended up approaching Joseph. Genesis chapter 43, verse 8, verse 11, verses 13 through 15 reads, And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go. The phrase arise and go is going to be in allusion to redemption. When you come out of exile, you arise. Arise is associated with coming out of spiritual slumber. That we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land, in your vessels, and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds. Remember, when they came out of Egypt, they came out with great wealth. Take also your brother and arise and go again unto the man. And then it says, And God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother, which the rabbis interpret as being Simeon and Benjamin. Because the rabbis say it was Simeon who Joseph kept back until his brothers made a second trip to Joseph. So we're going to look at this phrase, May the Almighty give you mercy before the man, and may he send away your other brother Simeon, that this is 
is going to be a foreshadowing of exile and redemption. Genesis chapter 43 verse 15. And the men took that present and they took double money in their hand and Benjamin and rose up and went down to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. In the Art Scroll of Genesis, volume 1, page 1868, it explains from the Midrash how the one who is being released here, which is Simeon, alludes to the ten tribes. The Midrash perceives this prayer as connoting even a deeper prophetic matter. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi expounded the verse as alluding to the exiles. Exodus chapter 15 verse 3 where it says, Before the man, this alludes to the Holy One, blessed be he, who is referred to as a man of war. Exodus 15 verse 3. That he may release to you your brother, this alludes to the ten tribes. In Genesis chapter 43, we are told how Joseph, in being reunited with his brothers, that he ends up eating with his brothers. This represents unity, table fellowship, reconciliation. Ezekiel 43, verses 16 and 17, verses 27 through 29, reads as follows. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home and slay and make ready for these men shall dine with me at noon and the man did as Joseph bade and the man brought the men into Joseph's house and he asked them of their welfare and said is your father well the old man of whom you speak is he yet alive and they answered your servant our father is in good health he is yet alive and they bowed down their heads and made obedience and he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you speak unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto you, my son. In the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, volume 2, page 881, regarding this incident, we are told that Joseph eating with his brothers foreshadows the redemption, foreshadows the unity of all twelve tribes. And thus of Joseph too, it says, And he lifted up his eyes and saw Benjamin his brother, and said, God be gracious unto you, my son. This is an allusion to the time when the lion here in Isaiah in chapter 65 verse 25 alludes to Judah. As it said, Judah is a lion's whelp. Genesis chapter 49 verse 9. Like an ox back in Isaiah 65 verse 25 refers to Joseph as it says and of Joseph he said his beauty is that of the firstling bullock Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 13 and 17 all these were found eating together as it says and they sat before him the firstborn according to his birthright and portions were taken Genesis 43 verse 33 and the lion shall eat straw like the ox Therefore we read, and he sent Judah before him unto Joseph. In Genesis chapter 45, we have an account where Joseph is united with his brothers. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, 
Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Moreover, he kissed all of his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. In the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, volume 2, page 868, it explains how Joseph's weeping when he was united with his brothers foreshadows the weeping and the joy of the future redemption when all 12 tribes are united. And he wept aloud, Genesis chapter 45, verse 2. As Joseph became reconciled to his brothers from the midst of weeping, so will the Holy One, blessed be he, redeem Israel from the midst of weeping. As it says in Jeremiah 31, verse 9, they shall come with weeping and with supplication will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water. Well, that's going to conclude part six of the series on the subject, Patterns of Exile and Redemption in Genesis. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries P.O. Box 81 Strasburg that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G Ohio 44680 Until next time may Yeshua richly bless you